Welcome to today's webinar compiled and produced by the team at biznews.com. All of our webinars are interactive. We encourage you to pose questions to our guests. The more challenging, the better. And the earlier you get the questions in, the better the chance of having them answered. Welcome everybody, I'm Jackie Cameron from BizNews and with me today we've got Craig Gradich who is an award-winning financial planner from Johannesburg. Welcome Craig. Hi Jackie, how are you doing? Good to be here. Fine. Thanks, thanks for joining us. We've also got Fred Razak from CM Trading who should be joining us. He had a technical challenge uh, trying to get into the webinar sh shortly but he'll also be joining us. So um, perhaps we can just start, Craig, with a very interesting and controversial topic. You sent me a very interesting uh, presentation this week with the title, Is the ANC Stealing Our Pension Funds? So um, let's hop over to that and have a look at that. And thank you to everybody for joining the webinar. Please get your questions through to us and um, we will get to your questions soon. But let's first hear from... Craig about the ANC and pension funds. Sorry, just bear with me while I call up your presentation. Can you see it now? I, I can see it on my side, yeah. Okay, perfect. Okay, I'm going to go to. Yeah. There we go. Let's start beginning. So, um, so Craig, maybe you could just briefly, just to introduce, a lot of people know your company, but just very briefly where you fit into the financial services world. Uh, perhaps you could just briefly take us through that and then we can get on to the meat of what you think about the ANC plans for our investments. Yes, yeah, so thank you. Um, yeah, we, we are, as it says, we are a diversified investment advisory and wealth management business. Um, so we offer professional financial planning services to individuals, groups and corporates. Um, so a fairly comprehensive service offering to individuals in terms of wealth creation and wealth protection. And then on the corporate side, you know, making sure that we take care of any group cover, any business assurance requirements, short term, the whole lot, medical aid. And yeah, um, the next slide is, is just our, our brag sheets that we're trying to build up. I think uh, most people know about the IntelliDeck stuff, having one top wealth manager in 2018, the overall top wealth manager award. Um, and I think what we're quite proud of is in the last five years, we've won people's choice, uh, which is essentially uh, client rating um, or client satisfaction in terms of various aspects of our service. We one of 15 practices that's accredited as a professional practice by the FBI. And yeah, ever since Marsted introduced the seal of compliance, uh, we've got it every year since inception. And we just got the 2020 stamp last week, uh, getting 100% for our very last audit. Um, so something we take very seriously is, is compliance and professionalism um, in our dealings with clients. Very, very impressive. And the FBI is the Financial Planning Institute, is that right? They're the sort of overarching body that looks at, presides over financial planners. That's right. So they kind of administer and in charge of the certified financial planning professional designation in South Africa. 
So there are other financial planning bodies, but they're the one that deals with the uh, CFP uh, designation. Okay. So if anybody knows about this topic, then it's definitely you. So we've been seeing all these headlines about it. This one, for example, is the government coming for your pension fund, uh, various ANC proposals, threats. Uh, perhaps you, you could just sort of outline what your view is on, on this whole issue. Yes, so what you saw in that first slide was after the ANC uh, uh, announced its election manifesto, uh, the media picked up on the one line in the manifesto, which was, you know, that um, the ANC wants to investigate the use of uh, retirement funds and pension funds to uh, help support economic growth. Now, obviously, uh, I think anyone who's lived in this country for the last I don't know, decade at least, um, would understand that there's definitely a lack of trust between the public uh, and the ANC, given everything that's come out with, with state capture and and what we're seeing, the fallout uh, from, you know, all the corruption that took place, particularly with state-owned entities and, and just the sheer level of corruption and how it's almost become uh, entrenched. So, so when the ANC now looks like it's turning their attention towards another pot of money, which happens to be our own money that we can see on a statement with our names on it, it becomes a lot more personal than, you know, when you pay tax money into a pot and that pot gets raided. You know, you don't always make the connection between that and yourself. So in 2019, this was the, the kind of the headlines and a lot of people started asking the question. In fact, we got a lot of questions from our clients, which is why we we put this presentation together for, for our investment conference last week. Um, and as per, yeah, carry on. Sorry, continue. With the previous slide, you'll see that there has been a change in tone. Um, the ANC said that they should have their proposals ready by mid-September. Uh, that that's come and gone. We still haven't seen those proposals. But what they have said is that it will not include prescription. So, you know, I think, um, well, whether they stick to that is is another thing, but it, it certainly uh, puts us a bit more at ease compared to, you know, when there was this uncertainty around whether there would be prescription or not. So um, is there a certain amount of prescription already or not? So there, I wouldn't say that there is a certain amount of prescription. There's a kind of version of prescription in that Regulation 28 determines the limits. So, for example, Regulation 28 says you can't have more than 75% equity, more than 30% offshore, or more than 25% in bonds. Um, but because they're maximums, you, you could have 0% and still be compliant. The concern is with prescriptions whether there will be a minimum that's introduced. But just some context on prescribed assets, it, it's nothing new. Um, it, it was actually legislated in South Africa in, in 1958. Um, and there you can see the levels of prescriptions were, were fairly uh, significant with retirement funds having to invest 53% in government bonds. And insurers, a third of their, their liabilities had to be invested in government bonds. So it was certainly a fairly onerous um, requirement back then. Uh, and that was repealed in 1988. 
um, by the Jacobs Committee. Um, and then also, you know, when, when you talk to clients, when, when you read the media, you get the sense that this prescription is a uniquely South African thing, uh, and it's not. Um, so we've seen versions of prescription in Malaysia, Singapore, Sweden. Arguably, they got more bang for buck there, um, and there perhaps is le less, less of a trust deficit uh, between the government and, and those, those populations. Um, but if there is to be prescription introduced, it would come by Regulation 28 um, in terms of the, you know, Regulation 28 of the Pension Funds Act. Um, so what I thought we would do is just look at Regulation 28, uh, understand Regulation 28 a bit more, and kind of get some insight into how Regulation 28 has changed. But the preamble to Regulation 28 is, is, if you read the preamble, I won't go through the whole thing, is, Ultimately, it, it places a fiduciary duty to act in the interests of members um, on, on the trustees and everybody involved with the pension fund. So if you move to the next slide, the whole foundation, the whole purpose of Regulation 28, its broad policy objectives, is member protection. And, and the issue of what we're looking at here is, is the issue of member protection. Is, Will our pensions be protected um, from, you know, a, a government that's perhaps not as trustworthy as they should be? Um, but Regulation 28 also uh, highlights that link between retirement savings and economic growth. So, you know, when they talk about uh, leveraging pension savings to help support the economy post-COVID, um, it's not entirely out of the scope of Regulation 28 and pension fund savings um, to be used in some way towards, um, you know, helping or, or not helping, but towards contributing to, to, to economic growth. Um, ultimately, government provides a, a fairly attractive tax incentive to, to the public or to the population um, to incentivize them to provide for their retirement so that they do not become uh, dependent on the state. Um, and as a result of, of, of that, you know, there is some expectation of reciprocity. So what I thought I'd do um, was, was just look at how Regulation 28 gets changed. Uh, because I think people have the sense that, you know, the government will just simply pass a law and they'll wake up on Monday and their pensions will be accessible by by government. Um, so Is that section because we've had laws like the the COVID nineteen regulations that just suddenly changed. Is that added to uncertainty? Uh, I don't know if it comes from that. I, I just think it's it's from the the distrust with um, that we have with, with our government. Um, but but you know I think that was more of a special case. There, there's a fairly clear process that needs to be followed with Regulation 28. So before regulations in terms of this act are promulgated, the minister must publish draft regulations for public comment. Um, so I think that, that that's important because what it means is that whatever changes are being proposed, we would have a chance to comment on those changes, but we will see those changes before they happen. So we would actually have a chance to respond or to change course or to take some of the drastic action that's been uh, recommended by other advisors uh, based on kind of yes and 
you know, kind of just kind of um, feeding off the fear that people have around government and the distrust with government. But there's a there's a clear process that needs to be followed. So, um, you know, it people will have a chance to adjust course. Investors will have a chance to adjust course if there's a need. So what I did is I looked at the previous uh, change to Regulation 28, uh, the 11, and you'll see there the, that previous slide there. Um, so what Treasury does, not that one, the, the slide before this one, this one here. So what, what Treasury does, uh, the other one. Go back. This one. Yes. Okay. No. No. <laughs> I think there's a I think there's a lag between us. It's the one with the table, with that single table there. Uh, yeah, this, this one. one. 2011 amendments. Yes. Right. So what Treasury does? It, it, that's right. Okay. What Treasury does is when it gets commentary, um, it it actually. Publishes on its website who's given commentary to to whether it's the first or second draft, who were the respondents, and you can see that the previous respondents were organisations, were companies, um, a CISA, all of that. Yeah, you can stand there, and there were also individuals like Leonard, Michael, Saigri, the various people who, in their personal capacities, um, responded to the drafts. The next slide. After this, where you have the table and the red writing, yeah, there. So essentially, that first column is the initial proposals from um, Treasury. Then it was the comments that were provided from those organisations that are showed and in individuals in the previous slides. And then they actually show you how they change the wording based on. Um, the the commentary that they receive from from the public so right. i think what it shows is it's a, it's a fairly transparent process and in fact the feedback that we give gets taken seriously and you know even though people were commenting in general where there was no real sort of wording applicable to their comment that that is noted and and where there is commentary that affects directly affects what was proposed and Treasury says we, we we saw what you said yeah we, we you're right we've amended it accordingly um or we've seen what you said of yeah and we've we've added this because we agree with with your input so I think it's 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 important that people understand this process it's not it's not you're going to wake up and the laws change if, if that does happen obviously there'll be a constitutional process that, that would follow or some kind of legal uh, process that would follow. So there, this is a tre treasury document also on the website. And what it shows here is just the timelines. So the first draft was released in February 2010. Uh, the second draft came out in December. And this act was then promulgated in uh, April 2011. So if there was anything that was proposed that people were worried about, they, they would have had a full 14 months in which they could have adjusted course, stopped their retirement contributions, disinvested if they needed to disinvest, or you know, if you needed to take drastic action for whatever reason, there was plenty of time before the act was was um, was changed uh, to re to reflect. Um, well, 
before those changes became effective. Just one question well, there before you go on. You say there's plenty of time to change, but a lot of retirement funds and retirement annuities are quite uh, constricting and there's not a lot we, we hear we often can't move or we're stuck in these investments. So, so yeah, so I'm saying you can adjust course. I'm not saying you can get out of your retirement annuity. If you're over 55, you can. If you if you're under 55, you you know if you're in a retirement annuity specifically, uh, you could stop contributing to that retirement annuity. You could switch to funds that are not Regulation 28 compliant, even though your retirement annuity could still be Regulation 28 compliant. So what I mean by that is, you know, if if you can see that Regulation 28 funds are going to compliant funds are going to have to invest in infrastructure, which is what's being spoken about. And do you think that's a bad idea? Well, then you could literally go and comply with Regulation 28 by investing 75% in equities, in an equity fund, which is not Regulation 28 compliant, and have 25% in a fixed interest fund. So those funds individually are not Regulation 28 compliant, but your annuity would be Regulation 28 compliant. Um, if it's a bit technical, but so you could do things. What I'm saying is that there will be time to respond to whatever proposed changes are coming. Um, yes, ARA is in particular restrictive. Uh, preservation funds have far less uh, restrictions unless you've you've made your one withdrawal, in which case you're effectively in an ARA. Um, yeah. And then before you move on to your next slide, Mary Ann wants to make a point. She says the difference to prescribed assets in the 80s was retirement funds were defined benefit and now it's defined contribution. Would you just like to touch on that? Perhaps you could explain briefly what defined benefit is versus defined contribution, particularly for our younger attendees who probably have no idea yes. what defined benefit pension is. Yeah, so I think that's an, that's an excellent point that she raised there. Um, is that yeah, pre kind of the mid to late nineties, uh, you you were if you were employed and you had a pension fund, um, you were part of a defined benefit scheme. So as the name says, what was defined was the benefit that you would receive from the fund. So there was a formula which determined the income you would get from that investment when you retired. And typically the formula, I can't remember it off by part, was N divided by 48, the other way around times, the average of your last five years salary. Um, so if you if you worked, say 24 years and it was N over 48, then essentially you got 50% of your last five years average salary as a pension benefit. Now, Back then, what what regulation 28? Well, I mean, sorry, what prescription did was that it uh, distorted the market because government had, you know, almost a guaranteed buyer for its bonds. So there's no incentive for government to kind of offer a fair rate um, that reflected the risk of the riskiness of those bonds. So in a way, government could get away by offering a lower return to bondholders 
because all these pension funds had to invest in, in those bonds. And then that way, what the Jacobs Committee found was that um, people effectively, so prescription distorted pricing in the market, not only the bond market, the equity market, because equity markets generally are priced off the risk-free rate in, in, in the bond market, um, that you distorted both markets because your risk-free rate didn't have integrity, um, what was being distorted uh, by, by prescription. So the market wasn't finding the right price based on the risk characteristics of, of the market. So, so pension funds got a lower return and effectively companies, because these were defined benefit schemes, companies had to carry that, that cost um, of, well, we've, we've promised these, or well, we've given people this benefit uh, the market's only returned so much and we've got to stand in the gap for for the balance of, of that liability um which which was why that change and why there was such a big move away from defined benefit to defined contribution uh, because companies needed to or wanted to to take the risk and shift it to members they didn't want to carry the risk of having to provide for their their members' pension funds, or pension at least. Thank uh, you. Jackie, what, uh, what, yeah, sorry, what I wanted to yes, do but... um, was just talk very briefly about uh, infrastructure investments. So, because when I first heard of kind of the uh, proposal, some of the talk was around supporting infrastructure, that didn't scare me per se. And the reason for that is when I worked at All Mutual, I physically sat next to the team that managed this ideas fund. And the ideas fund, the next bullet point explains what the what idea stands for. Um, but it's an infrastructure fund. It's I think it's still the largest infrastructure fund in the country. Uh, it invests in infrastructure, renewable energy, energy social structure projects. Um, but this fund was founded in 1999. So, so the idea of um, pension funds investing in infrastructure funds is, is not a new one either. Um, and on the next slide, what you will see is just the type of investments that this particular fund is invested in on the next slide. So there you can see um, largely, uh, previous slide, yeah, this one. So largely, oh, did I change it or did you change it? Yeah, sorry, there is a bit of a lag. <laughs> there we go. Let me go back to the other one. Beginning with Orionis, South Africa, 49% interest in a solar power yes. facility. Okay. Yeah, so, so, so this is the, these are, It's there now, thank you. These are some of the investments in that particular fund. Um, and you can see the top right hand corner, N3TC. So those of you living in Johannesburg or Durban and have driven the N3 between those two cities, uh, well, 28% of the toll concession is owned by uh, this particular fund. 9% of the uh, toll road to, to the Northwest province uh, is owned by this fund, the Pequena, um concession. 
and then near the bottom track or right at the bottom on the right hand side track uh, is, that's the tall road between here and, and Maputo, uh, uh, Nelspreit. 31% of that tall road is owned by this particular fund. So, and then you can see there's a whole lot of investments in um, renewable energy. Um, I'm, I'm not a big, I don't, I'm not a technical person in terms of understanding just how sizable those those investments are and how much electricity they're producing. Um, but certainly with the recent announcements that Eskom will open up to these kind of firms to start adding that electricity onto the grid. Um, and you can see on the next slide that there's also um, investments in other concessions, whether, whether it's the, the gas pipeline from Mozambique or thermal power station in, in, in Mozambique and railway concessions. So, so the underlying investments can actually be quite attractive um, and can pay fairly decent returns back to the fund, which is the last slide I want to look at, or the second last slide, sorry. Um, is is it the, the performance. performance one? Yes. So the blue bar is the performance of the ideas fund. The red bar is a fairly tough benchmark that the fund tracks, inflation plus 7%. And the green bar is the average balance fund. Um, I couldn't get the Alexander Lodge manager watch as at the end of June. So I took the balance fund, the unit trust category average. There won't be a big difference between them. But I think what this shows us is that when done correctly, uh, infrastructure investment can potentially enhance the returns that we get from our retirement uh, savings. Um, so, so we shouldn't be too scared of it? So I wouldn't be scared of infrastructure if it's done this way. Because, like I said, having sat next to the team and overheard lots of conversations, I think their biggest challenge is finding is finding bankable um, projects. I don't think their their challenge, and it's a 14 billion fund, and they've found some pretty decent projects. So I think that might be the, the challenge. Um, I haven't really looked at the performance of of RMB's fund, for example. Um, but yeah, certainly the on the face of, of what I've seen with all mutual, um, you know, infrastructure investment can add meaningful value. And we've seen that in, in Europe and uh, the US where, you know, these types of funds are a bit more available. Um, where the, the return, you got to understand the risk characteristics and the return profile. Um, but certainly an allocation here doesn't look like a bad thing so i think in conclusion yes, and this yes yeah no, carry on. sorry continue so i was going to say in conclusion we do not know if they will at this stage if the prescription will be reintroduced um i think it will be a risky thing for them to do so um we we do know that the process allows for time for investors to adjust course so um if if there's nothing that scares us in there there may be no need there may not be a need to to adjust course uh national treasury ha have stated that nobody's approached them to, to with to discuss changes to regulation 28. infrastructure investments can 
can enhance portfolio returns if done right. Um, and I think any knee-jerk reactions um, to what is currently speculation, then, you know, yes, I am kind of just fear. Um, that's, that's not necessary. Um, so, yeah. Thank you take. very much. Thank you, Craig. Yes, so, from... Um, before we take more questions, uh, we've got Fred with us. So let's move from is the government stealing our pension fund to what happens to our accounts? Um, Fred, welcome. Fred is a global uh, trading specialist with CM Trading, which has uh, offices around the world. And um, Fred, uh, you teach a lot of people about how to invest in stock markets. And we've seen this week that one of your competitors, actually, Robinhood, had a, a problem uh, which it blamed on hackers. So it would be great to hear from you what the risks are just generally when you trade in the markets and um, how people can safeguard themselves. Well, there's there's two type of risks, right? There's internal risks and there's external risks. Uh, those type of external risks, uh, I think most of any security firm have put into place probably every sort of wall or safeguard that you could possibly do. Um, obviously, sometimes, uh, despite that, there are some breaches, but generally speaking, that's not the norm, okay? Out of the 20 years, 20 plus years that I've been involved in the markets, uh, it's not something that I've seen uh, ever happen before. So this is definitely an anomaly. It's not a normal occurrence, uh, but in any event, in, in a company like Robinhood, you do have FDIC insured of over, uh, I believe it's $100,000 in the United States. So um, I wouldn't, you know, most people I don't think have an issue with it. Uh, I'm sure, you know, financial, major financial institutions definitely have a back wall for it as well. When you put money like, uh, you know, different type of funds and different type of mutual funds in these big, massive transactions, they definitely have multiple firewalls that uh, it's just, a very, I, I can't even imagine it happening. That's great. So it's never happened to your clients? No. And so what sort of questions should people ask when they decide to open a, a trading account? How do they know they're going to uh, pick the right service provider or put their funds in the right account or make sure that so it's I'm not happy you, I'm happy you asked that because that's exactly you know that's exactly the point. There's there's what I call the three tier system. There's security, there's service, and there's price. The number one is security. You have to know that it's FSB. It's some sort of regulatory body that has a pulse and and that you know regulatories are being uh, modified and are being uh, told about what's happening in that particular broker. So um, as long as the regulator, uh, as long as there's a regulatory body that's accepted, especially us, we're, most of our clients are in South Africa and we are FSB regulated, that's the most important thing. The second one is is service. You want to make sure that when you call the phone, you call the company, someone answers your questions. Uh, so that's number two. And number three is price. You want to make sure that you're getting the best price for your execution. So number one is security. It's not even a question. Right. Thank you very much. So we've got a lot of questions coming through here. And uh, one of the questions is from Ian, who wants to know from Craig. Mr. Ramaphosa's new economic plan relies heavily on infrastructure spend. So does this actually increase the likelihood of prescribed assets? So perhaps just a final word on that to put his mind at ease, perhaps. Yeah. Um, again, remember, 
pension funds can invest in a fund like that ideas fund already they've been able to invest in it since 1999 so the trustees still have a fiduciary responsibility which is imposed upon them by regulation 28 and by the pension funds act so yes we need the infrastructure spend um but the 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 trustees will still have a fiduciary responsibility to ensure that the governances and that all the other issues around investing in infrastructure um, are attended to and that in fact uh, members will be protected with any investment that they make whether that will be prescribed is a different question so you know they may put a minimum level of five percent or whatever the case may be in which case that would be prescription um but again something uh, we, we'd have to see the details uh, it certainly does increase the, the chances that there would be kind of something in in an amendment to regulation 28 which encourages funds to invest in infrastructure type funds or projects uh, how the detail behind that is, is going to be important, how they actually execute on that. Thank you. And here's one from Monique. She wants to immigrate in a few years' time, and she says, should she be investing at all in pension-type funds, or should she just have a stock portfolio? So perhaps we could ask both of you that question. I mean, Fred, I don't know whether you ever advocate anybody investing in anything other than uh, stocks, but perhaps you could just pick up on whether you think uh, building a share portfolio is a good way to uh, cater for retirement needs. So that's more for a certified financial analyst to really answer that. But, you know, my background is financial services. So, um, you know, th that answer really depends on how old you are, what income bracket you're in. Um, for all intents and purposes, if you're first starting out or you're, you know, under 30 years old, you definitely want to diversify. You want to get yourself as much aggressively into growth stocks, growth equities as much as you can. But as the age goes older, you want to look at things that are just a little bit more uh, cash preservatives as opposed to cash growth. Uh, so then that pie kind of changes. But altogether, um, mutual funds are definitely a start or should definitely be a part of your portfolio, absolutely. But again, it depends on your age and depends on your uh, amount of cash that you have on hand and in savings in order for you to apportion it accordingly. Thank you. Craig, what's your view on that? Yeah, look, I think if there's a firm intention, um, certainly we, we, we need to look at what the balance sheet currently looks like. And I think the critical issue for her will be liquidity um retirement funds do not have liquidity obviously if she's in a company sort of pension fund or provident fund um she can resign from that and take the lump sum payment in which case liquidity will not really be an issue she'll just have a tax bill to to contend with um the timing is also important. So if she's planning on leaving in the next two or three years, then the tax savings from continuing to contribute to a pension or provident fund uh, will not be that meaningful uh, in terms of, you know, you get the tax deduction immediately up front, but then your growth inside the retirement product is tax-free as well. Um, 
Yeah, uh, it depends what a balance sheet looks like. So if there's no liquidity, it's you know it's a non-issue. She should work on the liquidity aspect um, as soon as possible. If there is liquidity, then we need to weigh up the tax benefit to see if it's still worthwhile. Obviously, that will depend on her earnings. If it's still worthwhile for her to continue to contribute, get the tax deduction, and then obviously, depending on where tax bracket is, uh, whether there's a bit of arbitrage between getting the income tax deduction now and paying a retirement fund tax later in two or three years' time when she immigrates. So, so those are the kind of things we would have to look at to, to get to Thanks. an answer and Tracy for picks up on this issue as well, but from the perspective of should anybody bother putting anything into a South African asset, um, Craig, maybe you want to pick up on that first. And also, there are two questions here from Tracy and Clive. So they want to know, should they bother investing in South Africa given the poor returns? And secondly, Clive says, why should my pension savings be invested in failed SOEs? So if you invest through a formal pension fund structure, is it inevitable that your money will end up somehow going towards an, an ESCOM or an SAA? Is there any way you can avoid that? Do we all, are we all investing in them somehow? So perhaps, Craig, perhaps you could pick up on that. Yeah, no, look, I mean, those are, are very difficult questions and they're very, you know, important questions that I'm not too sure that there are firm answers for. You know, it's the sort of questions people were asking in the early 90s when there was that transition um, happening from the previous regime into kind of the new South Africa. And there was heightened uncertainty in terms of whether the new South Africa would work. And now we at a similar kind of crossroads. I, I don't know. Um, you know, the, I, I think that there's, there are enough good people around to, to save the, this country. I think that people are doing some of the things that need to be done. We've seen arrests happening, we've seen reforms taking place at some of the uh, the SOEs, but whether that will continue and whether the, you know, the ANC will self-destruct and cause more chaos, I, I can't say for sure. But I think um, if we all take our money out, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy and then, you know, it, it certainly, yeah, it, it, it's a, it's a question where there's no real answer. We each have to decide for ourselves in terms of what's going to work best for us. From a retirement perspective, we've got to comply with Regulation 28. So, you know, not everybody is planning on immigrating. So then contributing to a retirement fund and getting the tax deductions and getting the tax benefits still makes sense. Um, so it, it's it's a bit of personal and it's a bit of the big picture. We don't want to be naive about, um, you know, optimistically naive about the future of the country. But uh, personally, I've, I've, I think that we can get through this. Um, I may be wrong, but I think I don't know if it's optimism or if I'm just being hopeful. Thank you, Craig. Now, Fred, this is a question from another Fred. He wants to know, is it a good time to invest in the U.S. now? So perhaps just a bit of an overview of your reading of the stock markets, given all the, the U.S. election activity. Perhaps you could share with us how you view uh, times like this as an opportunity to buy or sell or hold, and where would you find the opportunities? 
So, you know, to four years ago when Donald Trump became president and the markets went from 18,000, the Dow Jones, that is, and I think I sent you a slide, uh, they went up to 22,000. And, the, you know, the general thesis and the general understanding was, hey, listen, you don't want to buy the top of the market. It's not going to go higher. And then from 22,000, it went to 29,000 uh, this past February of 2020. Uh, and since then, it's been a roller coaster ride. Um, so there's a couple of variables. Number one, because we don't know what's going to happen with this COVID-19. I think everybody is just so sick of this around the world, just the face masks, the social distancing, not being able to travel. Um, and I think that that is looming for us still. Okay. Um, I think we'll have more clarity towards the end of the year. Uh, now, the other variable that's happening is the new presidency, okay? And there's definitely a difference between how possibly Biden will run the country and obviously how Trump will run the country and the economy. So there's going to be definitely ramifications to that. At the current state, it's everybody's, you know, everybody's guess who's going to be the next president of the United States at this stage. I think it's too close to call. Uh, and you know, for someone who's, you know, sitting on the sidelines with cash, um, generally you want to go with gold and generally an election year is not a bullish year. Okay. If you look at what's happening in the markets over the past, um, I would say two months. Okay. It's really not indicative of what's really happening on the ground in main street, but the markets don't reflect now they reflect in six months from now. So, um, you know, so, so the sentiment is positive, but it's still very weary. Okay, so since we do have the option of trading several markets, not just one market, um, we do have U.S. stocks, we have commodities, you have indices, you have uh, cryptocurrencies, and you have forex symbols. So you do have a very wide range of assets that you're able to trade. Now, if something is going up, you could buy it and sell it higher. If something's going down, you could sell short and just cover your shorts. So you have many options on the table in order to capitalize on the current structure. But one thing is for sure, it's definitely volatile right now. Thank you very much. Here's an, another related question uh, from Vikas, who wants to know, do we wait for a weaker dollar before we move offshore? Uh, and do we send everything we have offshore now or drip feed money into the offshore markets? Um, so quite a complex issue, but. Fred, maybe you want to pick up there. Say somebody wants to invest offshore in stocks. What's the minimum amount you need each month? Can you do it monthly? Do you think it's better to sort of make judicious stock picks? What, what's your general guideline, particularly for people who are just starting out? Well, if you're just starting out, you definitely want to start out with something significant. I mean, you know, I don't know what the financial situation of every individual is, so I, I can't really say. I mean, you definitely want to make it meaningful. I would definitely start between one to $5,000. I don't know if that's particularly a lot of money, money, but that's that's a significant amount to start. Um, now you do want to diversify, okay, to tell you the truth, but uh, it, it's, you know, even when one to $5,000, you're still quite limited, unfortunately, in today's environment where you have stocks like Amazon, stocks like um, that are trading in the $3,000 range, okay? So you're really limited when it comes to that. But there are enough stocks that are in the emerging markets that are still in growth markets uh, that are there for you to capitalize on. Now, these major companies like Amazon, Facebook, Apple, uh, Google, they're big ships. You got to look at them as a big ship. They can't steer, 
okay, very quickly, but they end up gobbling up smaller companies that are, are high growth. So um, you just have to be a little bit more creative. Look at the Russell, uh, Russell 2000 uh, for possible uh, opportunities there. Uh, but there's there's definitely lots of opportunities, okay, especially in today's environment. Thank you, Fred. Craig, what about you? We hear a lot about, uh, particularly one of your colleagues or competitors, Magnus Haystack, speaks a lot about the JSC Investment Graveyard. So perhaps you could also have a look at, should we put all our money offshore or should we keep some in South Africa now? How, how are you viewing the markets? Yeah, look, I, I think, so, I mean, we, wealth managers, our, our focus is first on the client and then on the market. Um, so when we look at the client and their balance sheet, as a principle, you want to have a minimum of 30% of your balance sheet externalized and invested, you know, outside of the country. Um, so in terms of Vicus's question, is we would want to look at where, how his balance sheet is currently structured and how much of that is South African domiciled and how much of that is offshore. If you're sitting with 60, 70% offshore, well, there's, there's no rush to take, to take more offshore. Um, then there's the kind of the practical aspect. You've got a million rand single annual discretionary allowance that you can take. So, you know, if you, if you've got a lot more than a million rand, you then got to go through a formalized process with SARS and, and, and the Reserve Bank. Um, and, and that process is getting more and more frustrating, um, you know, as more and more people are looking to take money out. Um, we've seen clients' uh, processes being stopped for, you know, tiny amounts of supposedly outstanding uh, funds due to SARS. That's quite ridiculous. And, and I think just in general, timing is, is a very difficult thing to do. Uh, the, you know, next round of stimulus out of the U.S., uh, depending on how big it is, um, you could see the dollar weakening you know quite materially and uh, more and more people in the market are are in fact calling for a weaker dollar and you know by implication that and should strengthen so yeah again it's that's a general answer to which hopefully people can apply in their own personal circumstances and their situation where they are um yeah i think in terms of the market yeah but it, it has been a bit of a graveyard. Anything, any company that's South Africa focused has, has taken a lot of pain and hasn't delivered returns, I'd say, for the best part of five years now. Um, so do you want to sell cheap assets cheap because they could get cheaper or they could stay cheap and sell a cheap currency, buy an expensive currency, and then use that expensive currency to buy expensive assets. It doesn't sound like a good investment strategy. But again, if, the, if, there's, if there's no offshore in the balance sheet, then you've got to write the balance sheet. So, yeah. Thank you very much. We're coming to the close of our webinar. So one more question for you each. Um, maybe this is one for you, Fred. How do you invest in COVID-19 vaccine opportunities? What would you suggest for somebody who's looking for those opportunities? Maybe there aren't any. What do you think of that area? Have, is that an area you've been looking at? 
So uh, it's not something that I've been looking at because no one has a crystal ball, right? So, you know, I think I think everybody is, you know, running the out of the gate since this all started trying to find most of the pharmaceutical companies looking for a vaccine. Um, the famous statement that one particular billionaire made is that if you want to make a billion dollars, you solve a billion dollar problem. And I think that this is going to be a multi-billion dollar problem. Um, if for sure, there's going to be a lot of cooperation between the pharmaceutical companies. And we've seen a lot of resurgence of some of the old school pharmaceutical companies like Merck and Pfizer actually starting to pick up because a lot of the um, regulatory standards of what they need to go through in order for them to come up with a vaccine has been decimated in order to move this as quickly as possible and try to make this uh, as widely as possible as soon as possible. So I think that you know a vaccine is gonna be on the horizon. How successful it's gonna be is another question, uh, but there's gonna be a lot of coordination between the pharmaceutical companies for the benefit of just the world population. Um, and I think everybody wants this to you know, be behind us already. Um, I think that that's, that's a general sentiment, I think not just in the United States, but just, you know, the cooperation of, of different countries coming together and trying to come up with uh, solutions to this has been really just something historic, I think. Craig, there's been a lot of talk in South Africa about COVID-19 vaccines as well. Do you have anything to add to that? Are there any opportunities in South Africa perhaps? Uh, yeah, look, I, I wouldn't try and bet on who's going to find the vaccine. Um, I would rather bet on what a vaccine means. Uh, it means open economies, it means global travel, it means, you know, some kind of return to normalization. So perhaps some of the beaten down stocks, uh, your airliners in the US or your, you know, hotel chains, companies like that, that that where they stand to benefit from a vaccine being discovered. So it, it, I think it's almost impossible to say who's going to come up with the vaccine and pick that particular company. But I think you can bet on the implications of a vaccine being found and, and make money from that. Thank you. And last question, Craig, Suleiman sent this question in early. He says that um, his employer has a group retirement scheme or at least 10% of earnings are paid to the scheme. And he'd like your thoughts on whether to contribute more to his retirement through an RA or to invest in products with offshore exposure. He says his investment horizon is 10 years. So it might be too specific, or, but maybe just in broad brush yeah. strokes you give it. So as so, so broad brush strokes, again, we, we would have to kind of have a look at his kind of personal set of circumstances, his intentions, uh, what what's the liquidity like in his balance sheet, and and then see what would be the best solution for him. But I think if you have a firm intention to, to stay in this country and retire here, uh, there are decent benefits to to be gotten from, from retirement products. Um, and if the balance sheet has sufficient liquidity, then then I would say go for it. Okay, great. Well, thank you to both of you for joining us today. So, and thank you to everybody who attended the webinar. So, just to recap, we've had Craig Gradage with us today. He's an award-winning financial planner and entrepreneur with a business in Johannesburg, Gradage Mohura. 
And then we've also got Fred Razak, who is a global trading specialist with CM Trading, which has offices around the world and in South Africa as well, Fred, in Johannesburg, or do you do everything remotely? No, it's in Santon. We do have an office in Santon. Great. Well, thank and you very much. We have an much. office in Cape Town as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cape Town and we, Johannesburg. We, Cape Town and Johannesburg. Okay, that's great. Well, I'm sure lots of people will be wanting to contact you after this, both of you. Well, thank you very much, and we'll see you same time next week.